Although the characters we discuss are fictional, the challenges people face every day are not. The information we provide in this podcast is for entertainment and informational purposes only and should not be used in place of advice from a mental health or medical professional. If you are struggling with mental health issues, please seek professional help. Thanks for listening and welcome to the Jedi Council Podcast, where we explore mental health in your favorite fictional characters. Hey folks, welcome back to the next episode of the Jedi Council Podcast. This is Brandon Saxton. And Katie Gordon. And guest. Well, guest. <laughs> or new, basically, co-host. <laughs> you want to introduce yourself? I am the semi-regular office aficionado <laughs> slash semi-expert, uh, Leo. <laughs> welcome, Leo. Thank Can you. I, Thank Leo, you. I have a question. Yeah. Um, as an aspiring, you know, hopefully someday clinical psychologist, where do you recommend that I go to develop that expertise in the office? It's something that wasn't covered in my program, and I really want to work on. Ah, yes. Well, it's quite easy. What you do is anytime that you find yourself like procrastinating will be often and throughout your training at any time, <laughs> then you just open Netflix and just let any episode, wherever you left off, and just watch over and over and over and next thing you know, you have memorized <laughs> nine seasons. It's amazing. Perfect. I, I can't wait. I, yeah. I I should really probably get started um, pretty soon then to catch Although, up. <laughs> I have to say, like, my 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 knowledge of like the Robert California period that that's that's my weakness. But I am oh, pretty yeah. solid in, in the Michael years and season nine. Oh, so I it's even like a a sub discipline then yeah. within the office i see i like that <laughs> yeah yeah there's there you have to specialize you know this in, in clinical psychology specialize. right so mine is you know probably seasons one through nine right uh, through a, through seven i guess you're not an office generalist you <laughs> no. really haven't you have an expertise an, an emphasis yeah yes, okay yes. i like that that's I, this is really beneficial for me just in my development i'm glad everyone else could be a part of this <laughs> otherwise we'd just be wasting your time that's my right <laughs> So, should we get started now that we've got some good career tips? <laughs> right, sorry. <laughs> Underway. This quickly turned into career tips show. No, I, I'm I, sorry. I, I didn't mean I, to... I ha- no, it's, it's very relevant. It's about the office, and it's important to show that we're qualified to talk about right. it. Right. Yeah, it's, it is important to recognize competence areas. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> For sure. So, today we're going to talk about characters from the office, especially romantic relationships in the office, of which there are many, mm-hmm. and relationship research. And a little bit about couples therapy. Speaking of couples therapy, I want to give a quick shout out to my cousin, Griffin, who makes music under the name Couples Therapy. How appropriate. And I will definitely link to a SoundCloud in the... SoundCloud? (laughs) SoundCloud. (laughs) Did I say that right? In the show notes. And... um, That's actually my rapper name. (laughs) Couples Therapy? SoundCloud. (laughs) Oh, SoundCloud. Oh, SoundCloud. That's perfect. Yeah. Uh, so I'll link to Leo's as well. <laughs> and and basically, he you should listen because his music is really good. I disclosed my um, conflict of interest, which is that he is my yeah. cousin. But independently of that, right. he is also really good. So check him out. And today, like I said, we'll be talking about psychological research on relationships. Much of it's from the scientific work of Drs. John and Julie Gottman, and also Dr. Samantha Joel and her collaborators. For the sake of brevity, we'll highlight some of their findings, but if you're interested in more complex, detailed versions of their research, please check out the links that we'll put in the notes for the show. 
Dr. Samantha Joel is a researcher who actually, I became familiar with her work through Twitter because mm -hmm. she had tweeted some things about studies that she had conducted and that there was some press about. And so I went to her lab website page in preparing for this episode and selected some of the articles on there. So thank you, Dr. Joel, for your contributions and for doing such interesting research. Yeah. You know, I was just thinking, Katie, this, I don't, my memory is a little hazy about earlier episodes because we've been doing this for oh, 120 episodes now, <laughs> yeah. which is amazing. Yeah. But we did an episode about a couple very early on, if you might remember, Joker and Harley Quinn. I, I had kind of forgotten about that. That was our second episode. I was actually it? thinking it was our second episode. I would have to imagine nearly unlistenable, um, just considering the technological kind of level that we were at at that time, which I, I, I very much have enjoyed our journey. But some of those earlier episodes, I, I just didn't have the tech skills yet. Uh, as a team, we were still developing those. But it, it is kind of fun to recognize that we were, we're circling back to that again after over 100 episodes. I, I had totally forgotten about that until just this moment. Oh, that's that's a great point. And it seems like, isn't there going to be a new Harley Quinn movie that might involve some aspects of their relationship? So we might need to do, mm -hmm. kind of revisit mm -hmm. yeah. their relationship. Yeah, absolutely. Because there's definitely a lot there to talk about from a psychological perspective. I would agree. Yeah, I would agree. Yeah, so anyway, sorry to sidetrack no, us off. No, that's... It was just a... That's a great connection. A, yeah, just came right to mind. I, I had totally forgotten about that. I, I need to commit all 120 episode topics to memory so I can more quickly <laughs> pull them forward. But, but then uh, it would take away from this kind of real-time thing. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Most importantly. Leo, Leo, do you want us to get back to the yeah. main topic? No, no, no. Actually, the, the Harley Quinn... Because it, and, and all of the fandom, you guys were talking about it, Every uh, whenever there's a new uh, comic or the the Joker movie was coming out a little bit ago, the the a lot of the boards and uh, internet were aflame about um, their their relationship and how abusive he was towards Harley Quinn and especially the cartoon. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, there's a lot of debate on people who uh, who really tend to um, what's the word I'm looking for, idolize uh, yeah. abusive relationships. Like, oh, yeah, they, you know, they have such passion, so but he treats her horribly. And other people are like, no, it's, it's a prototypically abusive relationship, and it's a horrible model to, to think about and to put out there. So it's an interesting debate. And I was thinking about, in real life, how, well, we probably talk about it when we talk about assortative mating, but there's, um, I was thinking a lot about the a current genre of, uh, uh, kind of fan fiction for true life murderers and how there's you know legions of interesting mostly women who um, write to the guys who are serial killers or well known um, well known uh, criminals and the reasons as to why. So I was kind of trying to link those two. So if you guys if you guys do that episode, that probably would be an interesting approach to take. And the, there's a there's a term called hybristophilia, and it's for women who kind of develop a intense interests and um, kind of sexual and romantic for people who commit uh, horrendous crimes. So that sounds like an interesting episode, which we'll have to have you back on for sure. <laughs> and and because the last time what we talked about is kind of the, the episode and the comic Mad Love, which really captures the abusive nature of their mm -hmm. relationship. I'm curious, though, is there a term for men that have those romantic feelings or is it or how kind of how did that come about yeah you know I, I i just got uh, into the literature a little bit uh, about a couple of years ago just because i started noticing 
um, the, some of the projects that my students are into, and we started looking into uh, common copycat effect. And the interesting part is a lot of the men, what they're doing is they're more, they idolize them, but more into kind of copycat mm -hmm. the case. So there's a lot of idolization by would-be um, shooters. Um, so and th that's how we started. I was looking at the mass, the, we were trying to look and see if there's a relationship between um, online presence of mass shooters and they, uh, them spawning other mass shootings. So, for example, the Virginia Tech uh, shooter was uh, always, you know, he idolized uh, the Columbine shooters. And the Columbine shooters have a, a huge following among other prominent mass shooters. So we were trying to think about that. And then we kind of came across uh, all of these online communities uh, of mostly, like I said, mostly women uh, who are kind of infatuated with uh, this um, very prominent serial killers and mass shooters. This would uh, be a great really topic. Yeah, especially, I think this has come up a bit with the new Netflix series about Bundy. And, yeah, and that, exactly and that right. occurred with him, mm -hmm. right? So that, so this is a, yeah, I, I'd love to have you back and talk about this. Yeah. We don't even have to wait for the movie to come out. I think we can talk yeah. about it before oh, then. Yeah. We got dark all of a sudden. It really did. <laughs> Shall we talk about something later? Yeah. yeah, the office. The, I so I, we kind of divided this up in a couple main topics for today. So just to get a give a preview of that, we'll first talk about mate selection or how people pick who they want to date or be in relationships with. Then we'll talk about healthy versus unhealthy relationship qualities and what therapy might help with when it comes to those things. Talk about some of key components of couples therapy. And just kind of wrap up with our concluding thoughts after that. Perfect. So, mate selection. One note about most of this relationship research has been done on, tends to be younger heterosexual couples, but there's increasing work that is trying to look at more diverse samples, and I think that's really important, but that's just something to keep in mind as we, as we reference most of the work that we're about to reference. Okay, so how do people select their mates? Relevant factors are, uh, there's a lot of variability in people's preferences, of course, but some real common ones are physical attractiveness. That tends to be mm -hmm. almost universal, I'd say. Mm -hmm. People are interested in people they're physically attracted to. Mm -hmm. But there are also desirable personality traits, for example, confidence mm -hmm. that most people tend to be attracted to. Um, th this is based on research. And demographic similarities. So this can be things like educational aspirations and goals and religion and one of the papers that I'll link to talks about this as being kind of a compatibility thing with common interests and values but also that mating requires meeting and so you tend to run into people who are have those similar backgrounds and then relatedly proximity that people are more likely to date people who live nearby they encounter frequently or who work in the same offices that yeah. right which makes right. a lot of yeah. sense yeah. yeah it's hard to date people who you don't see or meet i agree <laughs> in it, my experience <laughs> even with online stuff well, I, think, the internet I think has changed that a lot it yeah, has but how but long ter has there been research on long-term success of online without eventually being near each other? Mm, that would I be really looked. interesting. Yeah, yeah I, that would be a really good question. And yeah, I'm, I'm puzzling over that now. And even, I, I, I'm, I'm obviously, this is so, totally outside of my kind of area of the literature I keep up with, but even just online dating in general and how, what are those kind of, I mean, are there different outcomes in terms of relationship success, however you define that? related to more of the just maybe 
typical proximity type things like where you'd run into people at work or school or um, other kind of social groups or something like that. Yeah. I don't know. I'm not familiar with it. Yeah, we'll that, have to curious. look into yeah. that. I, I think yeah. it's I think it's really interesting. And one of the things that came up as I was kind of looking through some of this research is the idea that people kind of, and actually I think, I feel like Leo and I also talked about this um, previously, that people will basically do the best that they can. So they might have a longer term online relationship if there are no other available options yeah, or, sure. you know, or they're, there's not there's not a better choice. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah, you know what I think I think is probably just the hypothesis that I have is that probably the ones that are based from I would I would guess that people who meet through forums or like I've heard of people meeting through game like online games or so like massive online games and people just kind of see each other multiple they see their characters and they get to know each other so they have that in common as opposed to just online dating through apps and just websites. Oh. My guess I would be that there's probably a, a, a split, and I would just guess, just based on what you're talking about, um, how having a common interest um, would probably be a better predictor of longevity of a relationship, just because they have that foundation, I imagine. But I don't know. It's hard to say. It is interesting, though, in the online dating, how much... Because I think it's uh, one of the dating apps that do put data, they collect massive amounts of data and they share some of that. And basically, you know, attractiveness is such a incredibly powerful phenotype. And uh, just people are just kind of just swiping, right? And um, you can, there was a, a small study that took the pictures of, uh, uh, this woman took a pictures of, the researcher took a pictures of a friend who so happened to be a model and put her pictures and made a profile of, you know the the words of uh, of her profile be pretty just kind of off-putting in many ways and nonetheless and she just got lots and lots and lots of hits from people so there's that i believe it and yeah that makes sense i not that we should lean on our own anecdotal experiences but if yeah. i engage in just a sprinkle or a pinch of self-disclosure on our own podcast which i rarely do i have a history of online dating myself and What you're saying makes sense to me because I've had a number of what I would consider maybe relatively awkward conversations where I'm meeting this person that the only thing that we have in common is that we swiped right on each other. And it Uh is sort of hard to grow from that as opposed to a situation where you could imagine that maybe you met in a game and then at least you have this one thing in common that you can start with and build from so Mm -hmm. you don't have to like – I don't know. My thing is making like really corny jokes about whatever is around. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I mean, there's nothing um, that you have in common in that situation. So that makes a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. Just logically thinking about my own experiences and and how I could imagine those situations playing out. Definitely. And I, I, I I think that I imagine what you want from it matters too, right? Mm -hmm. Physical attractiveness uh, is definitely important depending if you're trying to meet up with someone you know, and have a short-term relationship with them or hook up with them or something like that. But if it's a longer-term thing, mm-hmm. then... Or you want something else, it, some of the other factors might come into play beyond the physical attractiveness right. over time, you know. But you're right, it's kind right. of set up that you just... You judge instantly with the information you have. It makes sense mm-hmm. that that's a salient feature, mm-hmm. you know. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, that's... That, I did a little bit of... Uh, I had a, one paper just looking at attractiveness for my dissertation, and... I was looking at it from an aggressive perspective, but as I was doing the literature search, it was just amazing to see how, to me, like it's, it's, a, it's an incredible, incredibly powerful and really unfair phenotype 
because you know it's not like you work hard at it it's not just like like, you win the genetic lottery and congratulations uh the world just takes it like there's all this research that just the world just takes it so much easier on you and you have lots of opportunities that average folk just don't so ah. would you mind defending (laughs) would you mind (laughs) defining phenotype just in case oh yeah Yeah, I think just generally a phenotype is essentially either the physical or the outward, perhaps, manifestation of uh, genes, basically. So your height, your weight, but also as it relates to psychology, your personality, which is also affected by genes. So genotype being your genetic endowment and phenotype being the expression of that genetic endowment. Thank you. The outward expression of the genetic endowment. Yeah, sure. Thank you. So let's talk about... The attractive um, people in the office. <laughs> Let's just go through each and every just one of them. Let's start with the hot couples first and they go down. Well, it starts with Ryan, right? I mean, he won the hottest in the office award several years in a row. That is such a weird aspect of the show it's that Michael bizarre. has like this weird thing about Michael. Yeah. Like, I get that he admires him, but it goes beyond yeah. that. Although I don't even get why he admires him. I guess he just thinks he's cool. Like, he maybe. Yeah. yeah. Too, that he was in business school and he tried I think three, and he, he tried to be like come on you know quiz me and then he's like okay well fine does a business make more you know does it cost more money to keep a, a new customer or retain one that you ha- or to get a new customer or retain one and he's like oh, I don't know and then just start schooling him and then very quickly in that very vulnerable narcissistic uh, way of Michael the, the you know the bravado and the and the, the yeah the bravado that he puts out very quickly falls out as he reveals his inner insecurities about himself and his position in life. And then, you know, we find out how he really feels about him during the deposition. I was watching that episode yeah. recently. It's like, shouldn't we be trying to figure out the relationship between Michael and Jan, not Michael and Ryan? Leo's really demonstrating his office jobs. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, so also th- I'm also thinking about the flip side of it, though, because Ryan, I think, does exhibit some like salient disappointment that one year when he doesn't win the hottest in the office yes. award. <laughs> yeah, so he like, likes it. I, I just think that it works in this kind of bi-directional, very bizarre uh, way. Well, it's it's almost like how his relationship with Kelly is. Like, he likes all the attention, and, like, when it's away is when he cares most. Yeah. <laughs> Which is really not a real healthy way for the other person. But you're right, he does care. Not what I would think about is a desirable personality trait under kind of the mate selection model that you described for us. But that, no, at least from my perspective. It's true. Well, that 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 speaks to the variability in, right. in preferences. Well, one thing that Leo was talking about when we were um, kind of coming up with this episode was the idea of assortative mating. So maybe I'll talk about that a little bit, and then we can get back to how that applies to the office. So the idea is that similarity should occur across one person one person's partner's or cluster according to one's attributes. So simply put, um, the evidence on whether this occurs is mixed because there are also a lot of chance factors that go into dating. And also there have been different approaches to measurement in different fields like evolutionary psych and sociology. And in addition to that, different partners' overall mix of qualities can, can still make them look distinct. So for example, if I were extroverted and I always selected mates that were also extroverted, they might all have that in common, but they might have other qualities that make them look different. Mm. Like they're different on levels of agreeableness or 
numerous other things. In-person romantic attraction is, seems hard to predict, at least based on some sp uh, speed dating studies. They suggest that science can't really explain that as well, despite really trying to identify personality and other variables. But again, those are very specific kind of short-term contexts. I mean, it's, it's speed dating. And the longer-term um, assortative meaning might be more meaningful. Uh, Leo, do you want to say anything else about assortative meaning? I might have missed something. No, you know, I think that's 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 not about right. I think that because I came from um, like a behavioral genetics lab, um, that is definitely always been my bias. I tend to see the world through that lens. So I think I, I probably suffer a little bit from uh, confirmation confirmation bias when it comes to it because I, if I, you know, in doing the same thing as Brandon did, a little bit of self disclosure. And thinking about my own life, I'm like when I think about the partners that I have had and the ones that I kind of click the most stuff, we tend to have a lot of things in common. So, and that tends to work out better. And um, when I think about the, you know, whether opposites attract or not, and sometimes I guess that might be true, but I don't know if it really predicts longevity as opposed to having similarities on things. So, uh, as far as I knew, like the, the little bit of the uh, on, on just a romantic attachment that I know. Uh, more about people tend to have similar interests, similar backgrounds, similar education, religion, goals in life. They tend to have more longevity in their relationships compared to people who, you know, one wants kids and the other one doesn't. Mm -hmm. the next thing you know, you know, Michael is, you know, having his vasectomy reversed and then, re <laughs> you know, undone and then reversed. You know the effect that three vasectomies <laughs> have on the body man? So, yes, no. You know, Leo, um, since I since we've been friends for a while, I know some of your former partners, so how would you feel if I went through each of them and mentioned the things that <laughs> seem similar and different? Great. And then <laughs> Facebook. <laughs> so hopefully that Lucky for you, I've deleted my Facebook, so <laughs> so you're in luck. Okay, we'll skip that and stick to the fictional characters, but continue to bring in the self disclosure. I think that I think that is helpful in talking about because obviously we all have feelings about relationships that come from our experiences yeah. and, and they really inform us because we use information based on our history as to our choices in the future too. Well, we think we do. Maybe we're just swiping right on physical attractiveness. But, <laughs> <laughs> but occasionally we try to learn a thing. <laughs> White says it more is that women are attracted to the man who will, whose pheromones most closely re resemble her father's. Okay, well, it might be that either. There's that. Which wow. actually there has been some studies looking at that and not necessarily the, but looking at um, taking like a, an, an old t-shirt and having women smell it and try to see if they can figure out which one they find more attractive and uh, whether they had a relationship between that and testosterone levels. And this is really interesting data um, that I think suffers a lot from kind of small samples, but still it's pretty interesting and fun to think about and for Dwight to glom on, I guess. That's right. What was... What did Dwight do with that? I don't remember. I, think, I don't know if he was talking about who she... Oh, I know. I think it was... No, no. Um, I know because I was going to say it was not about the duel, but who somebody was trying to pick... I think it was uh, when Pam... When Jim... Uh, when Roy found out that about the affair. Uh, well, not the affair, but the fact that she was interested in Jim and talking about that. And then he was saying, you know, who will Pam pick? And it was uh, easy. You know, the person who most closely... Her, whose firm was more closely resemble... Uh, her father's, <laughs> I think. 
I think I may have to look it up now and, and uh, verify. I, I, it sounds I'm right. going with it. I'm I like it. I think we'll keep it. <laughs> yeah. Remember, not this is about being interesting, not true. Right. <laughs> oh, that's right. <laughs> that's that's the Jedi Council model. Mm -hmm. It is fictional. Emphasis on that. Even that gives us a lot of leeway. <laughs> um so let's talk about something less personal than each other's dating histories, although, like I said, feel free to bring it on, but yes, but I'll, <laughs> I'll let you bring in your own pheromone-related anecdotes as you wish. Um, but now, talk that gotten Ryan, now that we have gotten Michael's attraction to Ryan, we're talking <laughs> about the second, more, the second most smoldering relationship in the <laughs> That's right. Well, let's, let's look at Jim's partners, right? So we've got Pam and Karen, and then um, Katie, right, the mm -hmm. woman who sells yeah. the purses at Perfect. the beginning. And, I mean, I think about things they have in common, that first factor of physical attractiveness and some some similarity in desirable personality traits. They all have seem to have good senses of humor and be kind and fun-loving. They are all physically nearby, which is important for Jim. You literally share the same workspace. Exactly. The, yeah. the, the aspirations seem similar until season nine, where... That actually causes problems between Jim and Pam. Of course, they're already married and, and stuff like that, but um, his work aspirations change to be a little bit more ambitious. Honestly, and that is where, you know, there's a lot of things that people don't like and they hate about season nine. And, a lot, and I do have to say, it was, I think the writers had a, a huge challenge trying to wrap everything in and mm -hmm. things got increasingly zany there for a while. There's some things I really liked, like when they bubble wrapped. Um, Stan, and then they put him down the yeah. stairs <laughs> with tranquilizer. That you yeah. actually know, for uh, but it, it got a little too, too zany. Uh, but it, what was interesting, and that I thought it was good that they did, was play with um, the relationship between Pam and Roy. I'm sorry, Pam and Jim, because it was You're always team just... Pam and Roy, aren't you? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I, I think I told you, yeah, as we were preparing for the episode, I am definitely team. Karen, uh, when it comes to Jim and Pam, and I think, as I thought about it, is more because I, if I had to choose, I choose Karen. She's more <laughs> like me rather than we like Pam, but yeah, and, I, and prepare and I'll prepare myself for the amount of hate for, for saying that Pam that I prefer Karen. But yeah, anyway, at least one tweeter agrees with you, so this one you're tweeter, not yeah. alone. <laughs> Yeah, I think it's, it's pretty it's good. There aren't that many on Twitter. <laughs> um, so, so that, so I don't know if you were going to say more about that, but I agree. I thought it was kind of a little unbelievable to me that Jim would keep that from Pam, um, mm. in season nine because it's kind of a big deal and their relationship has been kind of. I mean, a big thing has been honesty, so yeah. it seemed a little weird. I did with Karen. It seems like he didn't select her just because he had this kind of it seems like a historical relationship mm -hmm. with Pam because he seemed to get along really well with Karen mm -hmm. whereas with Katie it seemed like he realized that they didn't there wasn't like that depth of connection yeah. there you know like he didn't like the movie she picked for her <laughs> <laughs> desert island like yeah. what was it totally blonde or something i don't remember yeah. And he, illegally that, yeah. blonde, yeah, that's totally blonde is is my movie that I'm gonna make. Um, <laughs> um, yeah. Or when she's talking about like cheerleading in cheerleading. high school, yeah, I mean, he didn't. I mean, for whatever his own preferences, he just didn't seem like that was something that was interesting um, for him personally. So yeah, yeah, that was another a, example of that. 
Yeah, it was that when it became, you know, she, when it was kind of clear initially that Pam was definitely going to be with Roy, and then she happened to be, Katie happened to be in the office, and was like, you know, maybe I will kind of give it a shot after Pam coaxed him in that direction, even though he's been making, you know, allusions to her that, hey, there's something here. Mm-hmm. And then he just goes for Katie, and, you know, she's attractive, she's kind of fun, but, the, you know, like you guys uh, said, there's just no... Other than that, there's just really no connection. He really likes um, Pam's artsy side and her very sensitive person, whereas Katie, as you say, was a, a cheerleader, and then she's doing the snorkel, the snorkel shot, and she's down with it. It's just not. That's not what he's about. Mm-hmm. Um, Roy seems we, interested, and mm-hmm. Michael, and Dwight. <laughs> Roy did. <laughs> oh, yeah, everybody. And again, you, because, because attractiveness man. is a very powerful phenotype. It's and true. It makes, and I'm mid, sure and she's nice. It, it's yeah. just like a compatibility thing, mm-hmm. right? You know? Ultimately, yeah. That's it. That's, so that's interesting. Right? So, and I think that's a lot of why people like Jim a lot is that, you know, despite having other you know he's kind of just keeps this torch for his the, the one person that he truly truly likes uh and even when he has good compatibility with karen whom i will say was the better choice but you know <laughs> there uh but it, because karen was an attractive but she was also funny so she was into pranks and so was he so they loved that was something that had in common but karen was more, far more I would say what drove our party is ambitious at, the t- at a time when Jim was kind of the slacker in the office and he had not figured out what he wanted to do. He just was kind of happy being in the office and being around Pam. Karen had pl- plans like she, you know, what's your five year plan? And she's like, you know, New York was in her sights and very driven, very competent, uh, which was not where Jim was at the time. Uh, and to me, was that dismiss me? You know, you, we've all had, we've all met, met people in that in that relationship with them. With being one person is like really driven and going places, the other person is just not happening. And there are times like, oh my god, this is not gonna go well at the end because the other person tries to get them to be their speed, and eventually, you know, they give up or they end up getting married and divorced a year later. I don't know. Yeah. No, I, I think, no, I think, I think you're right. It's definitely like, that's one big difference that I thought about too, is Pam seems a lot more risk averse. And then, uh, and soon, oh, sorry. And then the last thing is in season nine, I did like that they actually, the writers decided to test their, their religion. Like it was always this paragon of perfection. And, you know, that is, Un, that is completely un, unrealistic, and even the best and most the best compatible relationships are going to go through some serious struggles, and you have to work through it to make it work. And I really like that they had, you know, that moment of serious tension and pain for two characters that people really like and related to. Yeah, I I like that too. One of the really powerful scenes is like they're really just not getting along, and then Jim is about to go and do something and then they um he leaves and she notices that his umbrella is still there and she brings it out and he gives her a huge hug and she takes a while to hug him back because mm-hmm. she's clearly angry um which is very understandable mm-hmm. and um and then she decides to hug him and he kind of he's still gonna go but the idea is that they're committed love each other and that they're gonna figure something out right right so I, I, that kind of level of depth of a relationship, it starts off as something most of us can relate to that 
we uh, have feelings for someone who's unavailable or something like that. And then there's like this timing that doesn't work out. And But even when they get together, they let them be happy for a while. I think it would be weird if like they immediately fell right. apart. You know, but then things get more complicated. They have kids. They're thinking, you know, more long term. And then they struggle with some of the things that a lot of couples struggle with. And they go to counseling, which is great. Right. Yeah. Which, yeah, exactly. That's a great message also to put out. And then uh, Jim kind of struggles a little bit with having to go to counseling. Instead of talking to Toby, of all people, uh, about whether he should go. <laughs> He's like an evil snail uh and uh, and he toby asks him really good questions as to you know what's the end game how long is it going to take for him to make a decision and he realizes that you know he needs outside help uh which i thought he was actually putting a very very good it's a very good message to put out there and it was realistic you know you always have the, the beginning of a relationship the first year it kind of feels especially the first few months it just feels like it's going to be great and you, you know like everybody else you know you you feel sorry for the rest of the world that they're not feeling this level of happiness but eventually you know those endorphins kind of just kind of come down and reality starts settling in and like you said you have kids and then that that very much reflects the reality of people's long-term relationships is you know super crackling at the beginning and then slowly but surely challenges challenges emerge and quality of life it's different depending on the challenges they're facing Absolutely. And, you know, recently Michelle Obama's book, which I haven't read yet, yeah. right now, she mentioned that she and Barack Obama, I feel weird calling by his first name, <laughs> he's the former president of the United States, um, the Obamas Barack. went to couples counseling too. And I just thought that was so great that she openly spoke about That's it right. because here are two people who a lot of people, I mean, people have varying opinions, a lot of people, including myself, have a lot of respect right. for them. And the idea, although how much stress did they have to endure throughout their different careers a lot. So the idea that she would say, yeah, we had to ask for help too. And also I like that she said that she went basically. So the therapist would point out to her husband that she was right and he was wrong, <laughs> but she ended up learning the things that she was doing that, that could be different too, in terms of relying on him for her happiness and stuff like right. that. So I just, I love that this is talked about as a more, as, as a resource that people can go to. And it's not saying this isn't going to work out. It's saying that we could use a little help in figuring out how to work this out or not That's work it out, depending how it goes. All right. I don't know. So let me ask you, Brandon, another person who has dated people throughout the season <laughs> is Kelly. Oh boy. What do you, what do you think about her partners? You know, her the, mate selection? I think it boils down to one uh, single factor, which is proximity. <laughs> and I, I don't mean that in a reductionist way to minimize what I'm sure is a considerable amount of thought that she puts into mate selection, but it does seem like... But then um, she would have ended up with Toby. So oh, right. That's, yeah. That's true. Unless, She's a little superficial too, right? She is a little wow. superficial, <laughs> and maybe Toby is an exception to this otherwise universal truth. <laughs> For other reasons, no. Um, yeah, I so mean, again, she, she's like an evil snail. <laughs> he's an evil snail. No, oh. he, she very oh. much is. Uh, I, I don't know. It, it not uh, impulsive is that the wrong word? I'm not sure no, that it is. No, I think it is. I think you were right on that. Is but what I think, and this is something I thought about in um, in terms of personality stuff, and we can tie it a little bit to the last episode. But I, I have this thing that, or no, I don't. No, lots of researchers 
uh, maintain that um, histrionic personality sort of doesn't really exist, although Kelly is kind of the closest to that. But more that some aspects of histrionicity are just kind of facets of narcissism. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I, when I think about Ryan and Kelly, I really do think it's just like it, 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 they ha it was just too... So they do, you know, they're both attractive. So there's that, uh, um, and then they're young and they're, you know, next to each other and they're both people, you know, he wants attention and she also loves attention and she wants to be, um, thought as, you know, she, she likes, like, but also, especially when, um, Aaron comes into the picture, she, you know, her, her queen bee, uh, attitude comes out. But if you think about the time that, he, uh, <laughs> that she bullied Pam, because mm -hmm. because Jim couldn't play ping pong. Hey, hey, you, you like, cause, cause, cause he's such a ping pong. So, so cruel. Yeah, thank you, thank you. Uh, but so, so that's a very that's a very kind of socially dominant, very queen bee, um, uh, kind of the archetype of um, female proactive aggression and social uh, social proactive aggression that you don't think about, but. And then it was all, to me. It's just almost just It was impossible for them not to get together. It's just that once they got together, she did. Ha she did harbor those fantasies about the perfect marriage and the perfect uh, dream, the kids, and you know the the picket, white picket house fence. Whereas Ryan was just he just really kind of wanted to hook up and then have somebody you know just admire him all the time, and it was just a little too much that he he bargained for, and then. That the writers just run with that in a, in, a, in a very cool way. Yeah, I I think that um, we talked about this a little on that last episode about some of the unhealthy aspects of the relationship. So it is interesting that one of the final scenes of the entire show is them running off together and her leaving. For abandoning a child. Yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and like the most like seemingly like kind of high achieving well-functioning mm -hmm. nice person that she dated there's mm -hmm. like something that they just can't stay yeah, away yeah. from each other there's something magnetic there honestly the, the, tie that to what we were talking about at the beginning of the uh, of the podcast we were talking about the allure you know i'm going to call it the allure of the bad boy and i, I know there's a lot of tropes uh in literature and, and especially in cinema people are like oh you know I just want a nice guy, and there are we. I we've we know people who, especially those who are hiring cluster B personality traits, who say that, but just end up um, going for this person that is a really, uh, in many ways, kind of toxic towards them and for them just because there are other things that are thrilling thrilling about them. Um, so yeah. Yeah, and. Um just in case any of our listeners don't know cluster B personality traits, those tend oh, to be, sorry. Oh no, no, it's okay. Those tend to be personality traits like, um, antisocial personality disorder, narcissistic, histrionic things that are, tend to come with a dramatic or and erratic, erratic yeah. yes, dramatic and erratic type, um, symptoms. Yeah. So, or expressions or phenotypes, if you will, <laughs> if you will, the last thing I have to say, and this is only tangentially related because I was thinking about Jim and the different people. I have two things and the different people that he dated. And there's that one, this is not a, a very research backed point, but I just thought of it because it's ridiculous. There's that really cringy scene where Dwight is like ordering a stripper, I think. And, <laughs> and he says, uh, blonde or brunette or something, I think. And then Karen and Pam make the most awkward eye contact oh, yes. over Jim's head. And it's like, Ugh. but anyway, I don't know. I was just thinking about that, thinking about the different people who, who 
who Jim was with. Well, Dwight is someone that's good to talk to maybe talk about too. Why are he and Angela that's destined true, to it? keep finding each other? What is it about them? Right. Well, there's that question, and then the other question that where Dwight has this like really strange success with women yes. who aren't Angela <laughs> That's true. consistently Isabel. throughout the series. <laughs> I <love> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which is really like a bizarre part of the um, well, series. I, I don't know. It wore cargo mean. pants and a shirt that had a, uh, wolves a wolf on it. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. The power <laughs> shirt. A good mustard yellow shirt. Yeah. And darker and, and Dijon it's mustard so tie. Wild. Yeah. You know, he also you're it's funny that you mentioned that about the pheromones because he also talks about things like facial symmetry and <laughs> about hip width when he's like he's really He's read through some Evo psych literature, some mm-hmm. evolutionary psych literature, and he's really appraising people in terms of maximizing mm-hmm. the likelihood of his offspring. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like when he tells Pam that he's not at all attracted to her because she's pregnant, and what would be the point of being attracted to her then? It very much fits within that framework. That's true. That he I forgot uses. about that. <laughs> it's really. And yet, Angela really just adores them. They clearly mm-hmm. are very physically attracted to each other. I mean, she has that affair and they have sex in the office and stuff mm-hmm. like that. So, um, that's a big part of it, but they also seem kind of amused by each other's weirdness. I'd see so. to me, that's also, I think it's about a sort of mating at work is because they're both judgmental. Yeah. Right. They're both very kind of OCPD about something. So they're very judgmental. They see themselves as above others, uh, know it all. And everybody just, um, so I think that they bond over that. Uh, they're both kind of prone to unpleasantness as Pam said at one time. <laughs> and, um, so I think that that's, that's what it's about. It, it's, um, you know, Angela wouldn't mind having two well-behaved children <laughs> and, uh, and he was raised with 50 rules that all the shrewd boys had to learn. Yeah. Learn your rules. You can't have <laughs> your rules. If you don't, you'll be eaten in your sleep. <laughs> it's too good yeah you're right because if you're real judgmental you really need someone Mm -hmm. who shares that judgmental lens with you about and they both think they have the right things her seems more influenced maybe by her religion him more by like his upbringing and unusual personality hers is her personality too i would speculate very stern teutonic upbringing Mm -hmm. exactly where yeah exactly and so you know they can bond over how everybody else is wrong and that's a really good glue for them Mm -hmm. (laughs) the last thing i was thinking about and then i'll i'll quit perseverating on these characters is I can't remember. I was thinking about the people who Michael was attracted to or mm-hmm. was pursuing throughout the series, and I can't remember if it was um, the Katie. Is that the person's name with the purses? I yeah, think so, Katie. but since okay. that's my name, I keep thinking I'm not remembering. Okay. Right. And like <laughs> that was exactly what I just experienced. Too. Am I just thinking of a person sitting <laughs> like by me? Or the show? <laughs> um, and then there's the other person who he meets at the bar. Um, oh, yeah. And I can't remember which one of those two it is, but d- with one of them, at one point, he's giving a like PowerPoint presentation of pictures of himself, oh, yes. but also trying to use like subliminal messaging of <laughs> of very muscular, shirtless men that are displayed <laughs> really quickly between the pictures of him. And um, I mean, I, that's a lot to sort of unpack, and I don't know how it fits in the sort of <laughs> relational frameworks that we're describing right now. But there's certainly something there, uh, diagnostically, probably. Yeah. Uh, certainly personality dimension-wise. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <But> <laughs> That's just... right. I had forgotten about that. We actually talked about that in the episode where we had Rob Gordon mm-hmm. on to talk about myths 
common myths in psychology mm-hmm. having to do with subliminal messaging. So uh, Michael, Michael is not up to date. Well, it didn't work, so maybe he'll learn <laughs> right. from his experience, although he doesn't seem to have as organized an approach <laughs> no. to pursuing people. Um, let's see. Yeah, I think one of the things that I think does kind of, from the factors we talked about in mate selection, it does seem realistic that when Michael and Holly, who get along really, really great, that the big issue is them living apart yeah. threatens their relationship. And that just seems totally realistic. Mm-hmm. And of course, ultimately, he ends up moving to be with her. Mm-hmm. And that's the important thing to maintain their relationship. So that's mate selection. Let's talk about um, kind of unhealthy versus healthy relationship qualities once the mate has been selected. Oh, you know what? Can I, I just, I mean, I was like, I had something about assortive mating and I just want to put a, a really weird imagery in our heads before we move away from assortive mating. Do you remember when, I, I love it when um, Nelly comes in dressed as Toby for a Halloween <laughs> and then he's like, you're, you're me. And he's just kind of oddly fascinated by it. Can I keep reaching towards and eventually kind of kisses her but i just want the listeners to have that yeah. image of toby kissing himself the true i mean the, <laughs> the 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 nova star of like a sort of mating nobody loves himself but himself okay so now that we have these mental images um once a relationship is started there's some research suggesting that kind of the stable factors that occur in the first stage of mate selection tend to matter a little bit less because you've already kind of selected for those things and that people tend to focus more on relationship specific or factors that that change more and that are more relevant in the current moment. So one of the the big ones that that seems to matter in relationships is that there's functional communication and that can look really different depending on what the relationship is. But there, even in the office, we do see this theme that when people aren't communicating yeah. with each other, that tends to cause conflict in different ways. If they communicate in a way that feels bad, they fight. If they keep things to themselves or from each other, that also can cause feelings mm-hmm. that hurt. So maybe we can talk a little bit about some of the healthy examples. So the first one that comes to mind, for Leo, I'll talk about Jim and Karen. They struggle <laughs> a lot when Karen learns from Phyllis that that Jim had feelings for Pam and that they were stronger than he than she initially knew. And the way that they deal with it is that they talk a lot, right? Because Jim is really tired and Pam even mentions that. And he's like, Karen's way of dealing with this is talking, you know? And he seems like kind of annoyed in his Jim way, but he's committed enough to keep talking. And if I were Karen, I would totally, I mean, I get why she wants reassurance. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a big deal. And ultimately, he did end up leaving mm-hmm. her for Pam. So who can blame her? But you do see that that kind of part of it. And then you do see Jim and Pam, again, their struggles come from when they're not communicating. Um, but that that idea of it's important enough for me to commit and kind of mm-hmm. work this out seems, seems like a big deal. Um, the unhealthiest... Well, not unhealthiest. It's so hard to pick. But one of the unhealthy relationship factors that that stands out to me is, um, of course, Angela having an affair with Dwight while she's with Andy. And it seems like she's misleading both of them. She's leading Dwight to think that they might end up being together. And that really hurts him and Andy that they're going to be together. And so she just seems very self-centered and almost flattered that they might be fighting well she's had two you know two separate sets two separate sets of men duel over her yes (laughs) 
That's right. So she seems pretty like self-focused mm-hmm. and flattered and not concerned with their feelings about that. Obviously, Dwight gets over it, but mm-hmm. um, you know, so that that seemed unhealthy. And of course, uh, Jan and Michael. I mean, that is probably the most unhealthy one. I mean, I mean, that, yeah, you're right. Yeah. It's hard to pick which ones, but but that has to be. The worst because it's an interesting ro- role reversal, I guess, because it, it, it really the abused partner is Michael. You know, if you wanted to think about it, mm-hmm. you want to be this in stereotypical sense and not don't want to go in a too dark of a path, but stereotypically, you know, think about more abuse. The abuse partner is going to be a female, but in this one, Michael just takes the brunt of the abuse from her. And there's like you can I probably can think about it as a, in a gamut of uh of dysfunction so there's like i think of jim and i'm sorry pam and roy uh and the problem with them was that you know they only did what he wanted to do and he was never what she but she never stood up for herself until they broke up and then she decides to take him back and she's like you know okay so if we're gonna do this i'm gonna assert myself more and don't call me pammy because i don't like that mm-hmm. um and so that and and roy's like oh okay well new sheriff in town and so there's that change, and then it goes all the way from you know the crazy antics of Kelly and Ryan um, to just the complete dysfunction of uh, Michael, who puts up with um, everything, just the the complete breakdown of Jan um, and three vasectomies, as we uh, alluded to earlier. Uh, for her. That that is really a clear <laughs> example, and then making him feel like all of his feelings about things aren't to be trusted. Like he can only trust mm-hmm. Jan's word on things until yeah. he gets some outside people saying that is not no- normal. Mm-hmm. You know, that's not healthy. And, um, he seems to have almost no sense. Like he even sleeps on the little thing at the <laughs> end of the bed. And it's like, makes him that he, she makes him take down the St. Pauli girl, the St. Pauli girl sign. Mm-hmm. Terrible. She paints the house, you know, egg white. You know, it's already white. That yeah. honestly, can we can we just say that that is to me that is there are two episodes that are just the epitome of the office. So one is Thread Level Midnight, but the other one is the dinner party. And dinner parties, when yes. everything falls apart for finally for Jen, for Jen and Michael, and it is just so much delicious cringe left and right. Mm-hmm. Um, and every they basically prayed for it uh, for everybody their their very dysfunctional relationship uh, to and including the fact that you know she tapes him while they're having sex to critique him uh, and then she probably has a BDSM relationship with him against his will and makes him sleep in a tiny bed and doesn't let he she doesn't let him say yeppers. Yes, <laughs> that's right. And and you see that from early on her correcting mm-hmm. his language. What have we said about that, you know? Mm-hmm. She it's it's really demeaning and I think a, a lot of it does seem like he just doesn't think he can do better. He wants to be in a relationship so bad and then he also kind of trusts her more than he trusts himself. And even though he's far from perfect, he certainly doesn't deserve to be treated right. that and way. In a weird, yeah, so in a weird parallel, like, like, mirror, like a male-female mirror images of each other, um, Jan and Ryan, so she keeps Michael around and she keeps going back to him despite, you know, in that very self-defeating, as I was saying earlier, you know, the allure of the bad boy, if we want to consider, <laughs> consider Michael the bad boy. Uh, but, it's, you know, she's she knows that he's completely wrong for her, but she has this self-destructive streak. And there's something about the complete adulation and um, 
yeah, the the obedience that she gets from Michael that she cannot get away from it because, as I've mentioned before, she's the you know the princess and the queen. I think that's why she keeps him around despite all that, and Michael is willing to take all the abuse. Exactly, and then she becomes dependent on right. him when she loses her job, and um, doesn't stop her from taking things over and playing Hunter's music. <laughs> oh man, that's some solid, some solid tunes there. I think, if I'm remembering correctly, that Steve Carell directed that oh episode, which I love to think that about. Is, you know, so celebrities are there. It's some of them. It's hard to believe they're as yeah. great as they seem, and you hear these stories. Everything yeah. I've heard about Steve yeah. Carell is that he is a true mensch and he is exactly like he seems, professional, kind, loving. So I just thought that's I'd mention nice. that because awesome. he carries a lot of the show. Yeah. I mean, there are so many great characters, but you notice when he's not on Absolutely. the show anymore, for sure. Um, okay, anything else about communication? I was thinking of one last thing about yeah. the dinner party episode, and that was at the very end. This always stands out to me is when Jan is trying to mm -hmm. glue the Dundee. the Dundee that she broke on the TV. Yeah, you can tell she really feels bad, mm -hmm. and um, is she's frustrated because she can't quite get it to glue on right. It falls apart after she tries to glue it. And that scene always stands out to me in a pretty major way in that episode because it really shows that in that minute, or at least in that moment, she doesn't want to lose michael mm -hmm. he is giving something or providing something mm -hmm. to her i don't know it's it's a very dysfunctional relationship but that piece always stands out in my mind yeah yeah which i think is more realistic right that someone's not just a hundred percent evil right. but they mm -hmm. have these moments and um you look at their behavioral patterns overall mm -hmm. but it's it's not as simple and that also you can see why that might Make it harder for Michael to recognize it's unhealthy because they have these moments too mm -hmm. where she. I think that's probably that's what's relatable about the bad relationships in, in the office is that you know everybody can think of a time they either themselves or they knew somebody that they cared for, who stayed in a in a bad relationship for them that they knew it was going to be doomed to end at some point, but the reason people remain in them is because there's something good you know there's something about it that keeps them. Um, so yeah, that's and that's so that's helpful until eventually, you know, in a very kind of motivational interviewing approach to things, things get bad enough that people just move from being, in, you know, thinking about leaving to actually leaving when things get bad enough. That's absolutely right, and a perfect segue to the next thing that seems to matter and people say in relationships is the idea that in the relationship, life is better with that person than without mm. them. My, my father's a marriage and family therapist, and so he sometimes uses the expression that um, it, that a healthy relationship could be joy doubled and sorrow That's half. Nice. And I, yeah, I like that formula. It's obviously hard to precisely figure that out mm -hmm. when it comes to relationships. But, and it's not always going to be that way. There will be periods of time where the, where the sorrow is doubled and the joy <laughs> is halved. And so you look at the, the long term, especially depending on the nature of the relationship. But the idea is that people tend to, on average, lots of variability, and healthy relationships tend to say when they feel connected, valued, safe, they're having fun together, they're getting their important desires and needs mostly met. And there is some research suggesting that um, about gratitude and signaling investment or commitment, which um, suggests that people feel particularly grateful for partners who they perceive to have invested in the relationship, which in turn motivates them to further commit 
a relationship. So the example from the office, two examples that came to mind is Karen moving to Scranton, which is an investment and the relationship. And, and maybe also even when Jim finds out kind of Pam's available, I wonder if that's part of the reason he feels more committed to kind of seeing how it goes. And then um, Dwight covers for Angela's mistake about bringing something to corporate right. and loses his job. And she becomes, we see her more emotional than I recall seeing her before. I mean, even reaching out to Pam, even mm -hmm. though she won't say Dwight's name, but looking for support. Mm -hmm. So I thought that was interesting uh, research about kind of the dynamics and, and relational effects of that. I think, yeah, and ultimately that's, I think what happens at, at towards the end, why Dwight ends up with, we will kind of all hope that he ended up with Angela, but eventually they both realize that um, maintaining this facade of propriety, this extreme propriety, like how could they let everybody else know about their business? And even though Dwight was probably ready to 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 do that, he still to you know made the sacrifice in order to keep her happy, until the very end, in which uh, they both kind of put each other through a series of tests, basically, uh, and to to finally admit once uh, Angela hit bottom, rock bottom, and that was something that was. You know, a lot of the, the the characters have to go through some trial or tribulation, and that's kind of very kind of Greek tragedy approach that I'm sure the writers had in mind. Um, but people who go through this trial and tribulation, then they come out better and they grow as a person. Um, and you can see Michael does that whenever he does his post more whenever he thinks he's got uh, <laughs> well, he's got an ingrown hair, but he thinks he's got an STI. So he goes and talks to all of his previous partners as to whether he really blows things out of proportion. Uh, and yes, of course he does. But his feelings for Holly are what they are. And then he really goes for her. And this, in the same way, uh, Angela has to really lose Dwight uh, and not have this shiny object of um, in, in, the, in the senator, state senator. Uh, mm -hmm. as, a, yeah. as a person who kind of keep her distracted. And when she really, the prospect of really losing him appears then she says okay everything else be damned that's what's important and dwight is the same yeah i i think that really sums it up i asked on twitter about who people's favorite couples were and they brought up some of the couples that don't have as much of center yeah. stage but are nonetheless part of the story and so um maybe yeah what came up and you two can tell me what you think are the ties that bind? So, uh, Oscar and Gil. We don't see a lot of them, but what's your impression of their relationship or what keeps them together? Uh, yeah, no, I think, you know, it's hard because they really don't delve too much into that. But it, there is one time in which, um, when the, I think it's when they knew the, the office is about to maybe, is there's a possibility of going out of business. And Oscar says, you know, he's, <laughs> well, you know, maybe it'll be good. He'll get a different job, move to a different city. And quite frankly, he's been looking for an excuse to get out of that relationship. So yeah, it, it seems like it's kind of one of those like out of convenience kind of thing. Maybe they're comfortable in the relationship, but he's not truly happy. And he does fall in love with the Senator state Senator. Oh, that's um, so right. there's that, yeah. that's an important, you know, talk about that is a, a huge, huge uh, betrayal to Angela, but also trying to pursue their, you know, pursue their own happiness um, and pivotal for Angela finding her own happiness with Dwight. Yeah, that's true. I My expertise is quite narrow. It's in seasons one through three. And even though I've seen all of the episodes, the ones that I most remember are really seasons one to three, because those I watched 
I've watched thousands of times, probably. Um, so yeah, I had even forgotten about that whole thing until you reminded me of it. Um, Phyllis and Bob. Oh, I love Phyllis and Bob. I love that people <laughs> mention that. I, I, and one of the things that I love is that they are unabashedly in love, and they are, and there, there's a lot of things that the office does right, and one of the things they do is, or they kind of send like cool messages, and one of them is that. Uh, Older people, because they are definitely, they have to be where, you know, somewhere in their 60s. No, because Phyllis is supposed to be. He's the same age yeah. as Michael. <laughs> <laughs> Michael's been getting to you from his repeated messaging that she's older than him. And clearly, Michael, clearly the I'm same bought age. into Michael's propaganda. Uh, but maybe it's because, I don't know, because Bob Vance looks a little bit older. But they're old, they're older and they... I've never heard Bob Vance That's said without the, the follow-up line. Yeah. <laughs> Bob Vance, Vance Refrigeration. Um, <laughs> which the fan theory is brilliant about. Have you heard of the fan theory about? It's no. brilliant. It's because he knew that he was on camera, and he knew that he would be at some point, uh, and then it's free publicity. Well, yeah, there's people out there who think about this even harder than I do. It's great. But so my favorite, one of the favorite things is whenever um, – they are out for Valentine's Day, actually. And in fact, that's kind of what the episode is. This episode is going to be in. You're going to be dropping it for for Valentine's, right? Well, probably yes, but it'll probably actually be slightly before, like on the eighth. But yeah, in time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, so I the Valentine's, the Valentine's special. special, and they go out with uh, Pam and Jim for lunch. Mm-hmm. And then they excuse themselves uh, and they disappear and then they start it. They have sex in the bathroom, um, and eventually it comes out, you know, who were the couples who had sex in the bathroom, and Jim and Pam are fa- faced with this, um, with this, like, oh my God, you know, are we the only ones who haven't had sex in the office? And they're like, why are we, are we, you know, what, what is it with us? Why are we, why haven't we done this? But I love the fact that um, um, Bob and Phyllis are like teenagers on top of each other, and they just are not the most traditional couple that they were thinking of. You can see like Ryan and, and uh, Kelly being that way, but they're almost like that, and it's great. And I love how he's so supportive of, of uh, Phyllis. It's great. He he bid, he outbids Dwight for a hug when they're oh, they have yeah. the crime aid. Um, <laughs> Because he just kind of supports it. I imagine there was also a, there was a, during Roy's wedding actually, <laughs> when Roy starts, he surprises his new his wife uh, with a song, and then they pan to the audience, <laughs> and then Bob and Phyllis are just macking like crazy in the middle of the crowd, and it's great. I I, I do love that they're they're one of the they're the, one of the funnest couples. Although I guess Bob can be a little possessive because he did warn. Uh, Phyllis did not to talk to her sister too much on the phone. There's oh. that. There was that one time that that's how he got her. He gave her an ultimatum. That's when he saw. That's, when, he that's when Phyllis tells Dwight to give uh, Angela an ultimatum regarding, and then he's like, "Okay, I gave her an ultimatum. I got over it. Now what?" He's like, "Now you got to move on." <laughs> like this, you know, the, the ultimatums work. He's like, "Yeah, it worked for me." Whenever Bob told me to stop talking so much to my sister, I mm-hmm. totally forgot about that. The last couple that was mentioned on Twitter that I think we should visit is uh, Gabe and Aaron. The true love story of the series. <laughs> in a really way. the sweetest love story. <laughs> yeah, what'd you think of Gabe and Aaron, Brad? <laughs> well, what I'm thinking of Gabe specifically right now is one of my favorite scenes is when Kelly hugs him goodbye and she just goes, Ugh, <laughs> it's so bony. <laughs> uh, that really stands out. My mind is one of the funniest parts of the whole series for some reason, at least specific Gabe moments. 
Because um, Ryan's got to be kind of close to the level of boniness. You'd certainly think so, yeah. They're, they're both a little very slender. <laughs> oh, that's right. <laughs> um, yeah, Gabe and Aaron, definitely uh, a bizarre couple because I, it was totally unexpected. I don't remember exactly what season it is, but it's right in the first episode. You just find out that they started dating over the summer, and Aaron describes how it's really quite lucky that Gabe was her boss. Otherwise, they wouldn't have ever started oh, dating. Oh, right. So it starts off yeah. with a sexual harassment yes, thing. Yes, oh. very unpleasant. Yeah. Um, so that's a little... not. It doesn't really fit within the kind of framework of relationships that we've described. No. Um, and maybe partially in the proximity. Yes, there you go. But, the proximity. Yeah. yeah so. No, that's really bad. That's right. That's one of the moments where the office is like displaying the worst behavior right mm -hmm. like that kind of thing where they have someone who's doing something and i saw um them discussing the writers from the show talking on a panel and bj novak was like i hope people know that the idea is that you don't do the things right. that these people right. do like the the thing that it's that's funny is that they're so clueless about the horrible things that they're doing and he's like i hope people aren't like oh that seems like a good thing to do i'm like i right. hope not as well <laughs> we're right there with you pj exactly yeah so that's that's my first uh kind of or in primary thought about the relationship of of gabe and aaron which is another one that definitely gabe ex uh exhibits some elements of possessiveness as well mm -hmm. uh when he starts to like threaten andy a little bit mm -hmm. when um andy and aaron become involved after their relationship mm -hmm. ends um the termination of the relationship was a little bit funny too because Aaron does it while she's giving her acceptance speech of the Dundies. Oh, that's yeah. right. And even though, and it's interesting because even though most people don't like him, they still think that was yeah. cold. Yeah. And she seems kind of like, you guys are all telling me to do it. <laughs> and I think she specifically uh, thanks Pam for helping her oh do that. Oh my gosh. And Pam that's is just right. sort of like, no. Everybody hates oh, him. Oh boy. But you know, yeah, the word out of him is like a squawk of an ugly pelican, is what <laughs> Aaron said. Yeah, it's not good. Yeah, I think it was <laughs> oh, poor. Man. I think it's Aaron. Aaron, her character is really interesting. It's very kind of unusual. But I think it's because she was so unsophisticated in many ways. And she's, you know, she's just very aware of that. So she knows that she's very unsophisticated. Um, whereas, um, so Gabe is com the complete antithesis of that. So he's. Very, he kind of has this pseudo hipsterism that almost like overmatches. Uh oh, there's a fire alarm, or alarm outside my. Hopefully, it's not coming through. Oh no! Oh well. It okay. is. It's well, okay. It adds some realism, realism to yeah. this show. Uh, so she, I think she kind of falls for the fact that he is kind of this pseudo sophisticated guy uh, who has who has all this knowledge about things and plays uh, musical landscapes, um, but. If, and he says, ciao. <laughs> yes, yes, that's right. He's from Tallahassee, uh, isn't he? Tallahassee. Tallahassee. Yeah. And isn't that's it sweet since it. that's where Leo and I went to grad school? I, it actually, I have to say, I, a little, it, every time it's mentioned, I my heart uh, beams a little bit. Yes, exactly. That's my experience as uh, well. But so I think that's why she kind of falls for him. But then, of course, he is completely inconsiderate. And in his efforts to try to make her more sophisticated just goes over her and then her desires So whenever she wants to watch uh, a cute movie or something then he gets him a horror movie about uh, uh a robot and he will you know, forget all the conceptions about horror and just completely um just ignores her her wants and desires and it becomes inevitable that she ends up breaking up with him whenever 
somebody shows her a little bit more, um, more, I don't know, uh, a little more, be more, more consideration, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the things I listed at the beginning basically are absent in that yeah. relationship mm -hmm. more than any other re mm -hmm. romantic relationship. She doesn't feel connected, valued, safe. She's not having fun. She's not getting important desires and needs met. And she's probably not having more joy and less sorrow. She seems more like it's she feels obliged. Mm -hmm. Let's talk a little bit about couples therapy, kind of for the last segment of this episode. And just there are a variety of different types of couples therapy, but there are a couple things that are a couple things, no pun intended, <laughs> that are present in across different types of relationship therapies. So, which is what I'm calling it now, so I don't have use a couple twice. I like that. Um, <laughs> so there are there are some different types of things like improving communication and clarifying decisions about compatibility that tend to be major features. So in terms of the improving communication part, there are a lot of different issues that can bring people into couples therapy. Some common ones are sexual problems, um, one or more partners having mental health issues or attachment issues, one doing something that really hurt the other, like uh, cheating on them or lying to them, one feeling unappreciated. And so there are a bunch of different issues that can bring people in, but one of the kind of go-tos for resolving that is teaching skills for enhancing communication so that the couple can find a way to resolve that, right? The therapist isn't actually solving their problem for them. The therapist is trying to give them skills so that they can solve their problems with each other, which is what good therapy is. I think that you're teaching them to be their own therapist in a way. And so some there are a lot of different aspects to, to effective communication. Again, there's a lot of variability depending on preferences and uh, how partners want to talk to each other. But one of the common ones is using I statements. So mm. saying, I feel this way when this happens. Acknowledging the other person's feelings to show that you care. So even if you don't agree with them, saying, you know, I heard how you feel and, you know, I, I care about how you feel, even if I have a different perspective. Shifting the goals of discussions to collaborating together to find a mutually agreeable outcome rather than trying to win or basically strong arm the other person into doing what you want. Mm -hmm. That's really hard for couples. That's really hard in, in general because it is kind of uh, letting go of maybe a, a, a motivation that most of us have to be right or to win, but it's it tends to help better if you're like, let's look at this collaborating rather than let's fight and see who wins. Yeah. And then being really specific about what you want and not expecting mind reading. And that's come up a lot in all types of therapy that I've done where a yeah. person will talk about their, uh, the person that they're in a relationship with disappointing them in some way or, or not doing something. And when you look into it some more, what ends up happening is a common thing is they haven't told the partner what they wanted or they've told their partner, like, for example, I don't care about getting a birthday present. Don't worry about it. And mm -hmm. the partner doesn't get them a birthday <laughs> present. And they're like, well, I figure I didn't want you to feel obligated, but I, if you loved me, you would have gotten me the present. And then they're hurt. And that happens a lot. So it's kind of more about like, let's get rid of this idea that when you're connected with someone, you can mind read. And instead let's take away the mystery, ask for what you want 
and then don't degrade it in your mind to or or knock down the value because they've done something because you've asked them to right yeah. so those are some of the main things and we do see this with uh, with Pam and Jim Jim yeah I mean basically everything that you issues. mentioned yeah everything that you mentioned about the I statements and the goals and showing the person you share is essentially how they tell them to communicate during uh, the couples counseling in season nine when they're going through couples counseling. And even though that's, I think that's the part that it, even though it may appear stilted, I think that's what it is that because it, it feels like a, yeah. to speak my truth. Uh, I appreciate all the sacrifice. And I realize that I, you know, I, I acknowledge that that was a sacrifice and it can be a little exhausting to not use the common shortcuts that people use to communicate. But I guess when people are in, in a relationship, you know, they're having problems, having to take that extra step can go a long way in making you, you know, one person aware of the sacrifices the other person is doing. And also the other person feels more appreciated and then helps them figure out the, which I think is ultimately what happens with Pam. She kind of realizes that Jim is willing to forego the business and do all stuff. And she, okay, so he's not going to be happy. How can we make this work out? Um, because he's always committed to me and I need to figure out how to, how to, get him to the goals because otherwise he's going to be miserable and I can't, you know, she can't, she couldn't send that either. Yeah. That's, I think that you pointed to exactly the resistance of this. First of all, it's work and it can feel fake yeah. or like it's too much. And there might be a misconception that in relationships, you're just supposed to be able to talk to each other if you really care about each other. Right. And it's fine. But no, it's actually hard. They both have desires that it's not like there's objectively a right path here. They just have different ideas about what they want to do, and she wants him to be happy, but because she doesn't speak her truth, um, he continues, and he's also not particularly trying to see her truth, because he knows her pretty well, yeah. so he could look for it, but you can see that's the idea that they're collaborating rather than say, oh, it's just not cool that Jim's gone and she has to put the kids to bed, you know, several nights in a row, or that he kept this from her, and, and um, you can see her kind of falling back on not saying not asserting herself, but seeing that, no, this is what I have to do to make it work. So you're right. It does, it, it feels kind of forced, but often couples will see, Hey, this actually works, especially if you reinforce someone for talking openly with you mm -hmm. and you have gratitude and fun with each other instead of like just nagging each other. Right. And so it's nice to see that even at least anecdotally, when people are skeptical at first, they're like, hey, this is actually working really well. And the couples therapy that I was trained on that was before people get married, it's an evidence-based tre treatment. There's actually an index card that the couples each hold um, with these kind of instructions. So they're having a conversation and you're looking at like the rules for listening. So you're not just waiting to talk and you're actually listening to them mm -hmm. and reflecting that back to them. And again, that seems weird but i think once they start doing they realize oh this is actually working out really well and then you know some of their there could be specific other issues depending if it's a mental health problem that needs treatment or the sexual problem is you know whatever it is but the yeah. communication is a good way to work together to solve whatever the issue is yeah brandon jump in oh i agree with all of you <laughs> Do you want to take no. us to the next <laughs> no that sounds good leo and i were talking beforehand about um we talk a lot, but so Brandon, no, please take it okay. from here. <laughs> it's, it's, um, I have to admit another uh, sprinkle of self-disclosure. It's the, uh, it's the early morning internship days by seven o'clock. Oh. I'm in sleep town <laughs> these days. It's, 
it's just unreal. Starting my day with clinical work at 8 a.m. makes for a very sleepy a very brain. Very Brendan. Yep. I'm going to be in the same boat yep. soon, so we'll yep. both be doing we'll some be, sleep we'll talking. Be, yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. We should do... I just had a didactic on, on cognitive behavior therapy for insomnia. Maybe oh. that's, a, that's another episode somewhere. I think that, that'd be great. A lot yeah. of people struggle with that. Oh, too. absolutely. But thank you for prompting me I'm to, giving you to the rejoin. Floor. Yes. <laughs> um, so another thing that we talk about in kind of this framework that Katie's described related to couples therapy is really clarifying some of those decisions about compatibility between the two people. So really digging in, taking a look, are there fundamental value differences or are there just practical differences that either can or can't be resolved and as maybe a product of those differences or um, related to them, are there stressors that really just aren't going to be able to be overcome and taking that all into account, what does that really mean for the relationship and what does it mean for the compatibility for those two people and is it something that yep we can work on this we can address this and and this can be changed or addressed or fixed or whatever that might be or is it something that really isn't going to be changed it's just it's just a fundamental difference or it's a practical difference that we're not going to really be able to overcome so that's the next piece yeah i think that i think that leo talked about this before but something that's not uncommon and actually i saw on another tv show which is where (laughs) i get most of my information um about about couples um is uh there was it's a couple basically if one wants kids and the other doesn't i mean that's that's a big difference and then there can be issues that's what jen lives and left oh that's right Mm -hmm. that's exactly what happens some people can make it work and say, well, this is our compromise or this is what we'll do instead. And then there can be other painful issues that can come up if um, they have trouble having kids or whatever it is. And so the goal in couples therapy is to facilitate the discussion and looking into that and seeing are there what's the limit of the, the compromises or sacrifices right. you might make and is it worth it to you? And so a couple of examples from the office that come to mind is that Jim is actually, I thought this was quite realistic, after her rejection of him when he tells her he loves her twice mm-hmm. at on casino mm-hmm. night, she seems, he seems, it's hard for him to get over the fact that she'll eventually return to Roy, mm-hmm. which she does briefly. Right. And so that's part of how he's like, yeah, I'm definitely staying with Karen because, mm-hmm. and it's reasonable that I would have that, but they worked through that. They obviously overcame it. Um, Dwight and Angela worked through and got over the sprinkles incident. Mm, a tough one. <laughs> <laughs> which, is, which is very tough. Um, yeah. So uh, may, I thought we could inla- just conclude with final thoughts. I think I've said everything I've ever thought about this topic. <laughs> but, to, but what are your concluding thoughts? <laughs> um, I guess really just making sure that if uh, a, a healthy dynamic appropriate relationship is what you want to make sure you follow what you see in the office yes. um, true to form yeah mostly jim and pam uh, ideally if that, <laughs> no, no uh i don't know the, uh, mostly karen well <laughs> i know you're not gonna you haven't gotten over it i have it. not gotten over K- it. karen did she moved on and seems yep. quite happy you not however have never quite been the same hot dog dentist and, uh, i just don't know <laughs> It's like the pinnacle of an unpopular York, opinion. She serves New York. I don't think Utica is really where she belongs. <laughs> <laughs> she seems happy, but deep down, she's not happy. She'll, she'd only be happy with Jim or Leo. <laughs> the C-suite in New York. 
It's what I. <laughs> I'm just imagining Leo at home just like furiously jamming out these fanfics where the office really takes a different direction. Like, never ends up with Pam and, and things just turn out all the better for it and uh, the branches never merge and yeah. There's an audience for it of at least one tweeter. <laughs> one tweeter who's like, yes, finally. <laughs> Someone who gets me. Give the people what they want. I do love Rashida Jones though. She's just yeah. so cool. I do like, I like Pam as well, and I, I recognize the real, the actors and the fictional characters are separate, but I just thought I'd mention, she's she's pretty funny. Yeah. She's very to funny. I don't want to downplay it. <laughs> to be fair, it is, if you if I go back to my uh, assertive mating bias, uh, Jim and Pam are a better fit. I just, yeah. I just, I happen to, really, I, again, because if, if I was Jim, I guess, I would be like, yes, <laughs> I want to stay in New York, and that life sounds awesome. Um, yeah. So there's that. Yeah. But uh, you know, the, uh, the one thing I was uh, kind of to tie into Brandon was saying is that uh, to really the default, you know, do what Pam and um, Pam and Jim do, and that is definitely true. Is that they're kind of he's they're thoughtful towards each other. He he keeps things that he knows he likes and gives her to her in a teacup with very thoughtful things, stuff that doesn't have to be super expensive or anything like that. Unlike Michael, who tries to woo Ryan with a very expensive iPod. <laughs> Yeah, way over the price <laughs> just like ruins over, like, everything the, 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 the Yankee, Yankee swap yep. yes. uh, but so that but he, so they sort of really like that and they're willing to do things that are thoughtful and good for each other but then also work through things and that's what I re- what I really do give a lot of credit to the writers that a, a lot of other series or comedies sometimes gloss over the difficulties of their relationships that are idealized. So oftentimes like the characters will have a kind of a couple of goofy adventures, but nothing serious or existential. And and season nine, their relationship, which is what basically everybody idolizes as the ideal one, does come close to to kind of having a, an end. And it was it was tough to watch and very realistic. I mean that is life. You if you're gonna be in a relationship with somebody for a long time, no matter how well matched you are you're going to hit bumps in the road and you're going to have to, if you're committed to it, it's about that. You're committed to working through the difficulties. Absolutely. And I, I think you're right that one of the things that stands out is how expressive they are towards each other. That's kind of a general rule when you're doing therapy also with parents, like we just tend to pay more attention to negative things and it takes an, an effort to pay attention when things are going well. It kind of feels like, Oh, we should, not mess with it if things are going well or we don't notice but some positive reinforcement and letting people know how much you appreciate them and, and care for them that's something that Jim and Pam are really good at doing yeah, absolutely. and Bob and Phyllis of course as Bob we and Phyllis who really are just a hit couple mm-hmm. they are huge teddy bears <laughs> oh, that, it's yes. great I just love that I really do love their relationship yeah. he's so supportive he does this 5k with her well the the, my, the fun my, run, the fun run. <laughs> It's great. The race for the he car- or they- <laughs> He carbo loans. Perucini Alfredo. And no water. <laughs> well, no. I mean, not while hydrophobia is rampant among the poor people right. who get rabies in the U.S. Oh, Solidarity. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, maybe that's a good place, a good place to, to start. conclude. Rabies. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to conclude. Uh, thank you so much, Leo, well, for I being on the show. As usual. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Brandon, for mm-hmm. co-hosting. I, I love talking the office and psychology, so yeah, this and, has been great. It never gets old. You no, can just really do it doesn't. forever. <laughs> um, I mean, 
90, 90 minutes we're at just about, oh. and I'd say 45 of that was just references, and I'm okay with that. <laughs> I am too. Thank you all so much for listening and for tuning in, and... Also, uh, yeah, yeah, me uh, undies and the mattress, <laughs> yo, yo, what's up? Drop it. Like it's yep. hot on this Casper podcast. mattresses. Casper, come on. Uh, Audible. <laughs> All of them. Zip Recruiter. <laughs> yep, we're yeah. there. And check out my cousin SoundCloud oh, yeah, and SoundCloud. also SoundCloud. Couples <laughs> therapy in the show notes. Which is real. I clarified that before because I thought it was maybe the Twitter joke, like, yeah. oh, I don't have a SoundCloud. But when people's this. tweets go right. viral, because mm-hmm. um, Leo's not on Twitter, though I think Leo used to join. Getting, but, yeah, but yeah, when someone goes viral, like, the ret- like a lot of people see it they'll add like by the way check out my soundcloud but mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. griffin actually has one mm-hmm. <laughs> okay that right. sounds good cool have a great night thank, thank you for you listening too. to the Bye. jedi council podcast a member of the geek therapy podcast network you can find more information about our podcast or blog at www.jedi-council.com if you would like to support the jedi council podcast please check out our patreon page at www.patreon.com slash jedi council the views expressed on this podcast are our own and do not necessarily reflect the views of our employers. Additionally, this podcast is for entertainment and informational purposes only and should not be used in place of advice from a mental health or medical professional. If you're struggling with mental health issues, please seek professional help.